0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
1: This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner. A weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Before I start today's show... I wanted to invite everyone who's listening, who's able to come, to hear a fascinating faith-promoting near-death experience from a Latter-day Saint, Scott Drummond, who is the person who actually experienced it. This is free and open to the public, Friday, October 22nd, 7 to 8 p.m. at the Salt Lake County Mayor Council Auditorium, at 2100 South State Street. There will be questions and answers at the end. If you come, please introduce yourself to me. I would enjoy meeting you. And if you have any additional questions about that, feel free to email me about it. martinstanner at gmail.com Tanner at gmail.com Today's show is about the greatest quality that God has, and the greatest quality that we have. And that quality is love. Jesus, in particular, taught two parables that emphasize this quality of love. One is the parable of the lost sheep. It's one of my very favorites. Jesus tells this parable when he is accused of spending time with and eating with sinners. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says that a shepherd left his flock of 99 sheep to search for one lone sheep that was lost. The implication is that the one who was lost, in this case, the implication being all those horrible sinners Jesus was spending time with, all those who were lost were worth finding. Another similar parable from Jesus that talks about love is the parable of the prodigal son. If we named it today, we'd call it the parable of the wasteful or slothful son. In this one, Jesus describes a man who has two sons. The youngest is so selfish that he doesn't want to wait for his father to die to get his inheritance, and so he goes to his father and brashly asks him for his share of his estate right then and there. Reading between the lines, you can only imagine the hurt the father must have felt. But without saying anything, the father gives the younger son his entire inheritance. The younger son travels to some distant country where he indulges in wild living. Jesus leaves this to the imagination, but implies that it's about as bad as it can get. It isn't long before the young son has spent all of his money. And then a famine also hits, leaving the wasteful son desperately poor. He's forced to take work herding pigs. Notice this would have sounded especially awful to a Jewish listening audience who considered pigs unclean. The son is so hungry that he thinks about eating the leftovers from what he feeds to the pigs. Finally comes to his senses, and he thinks about how his father has many servants and wonders if he could just be one of his father's servants. So he decides to go home. And he rehearses over and over in his mind, Father, I've sinned against thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of these hired servants that you have. And so he heads to his father's place. When he was a long way off, his father saw him coming and had compassion on him and ran out, and held him, and hugged him, and kissed him, and forgave him. The real story of those parables is love. Typically, they're taught to illustrate forgiveness or redemption, or a change in attitude. My point in telling these stories today is that our Father in Heaven loves you. He loves everyone, and that love never changes. It doesn't change because of your appearance. It doesn't change because of your accomplishments. It doesn't change because of your possessions or your talents or your abilities. It is simply there. God's love is there for you whether you are happy or sad, discouraged or hopeful. And this is a fascinating point that I believe many people do not get. God's love is there for you whether or not you feel like you deserve it. It's simply always there. When the prodigal son came back, did he deserve his father's love? No, Jesus' very point is that he got it anyway. Did the sheep who was lost deserve the shepherds' attention over all those other sheep who had stayed put and hadn't wandered off? Probably not. That's not the point of it. The point is, and President Ukdorf made this point in his October 2009 presentation, his talk in conference, he said, quote, God loves every one of us, even those who are flawed, rejected, awkward, sorrowful or broken, Close quote. That is something that President Monson has also said. We tend to forget this. We tend to think that somehow, because fill in the blank, you're inadequate, you're lonely, you're sinful, you're imperfect. You never became what you wanted to be. Maybe you eat too much. Maybe you procrastinate. Maybe you have an addiction. Maybe bad things have happened to you. Maybe you try to be good, but you don't quite accomplish it. Maybe you have a disability or a disease or an affliction or some kind of habit you can't overcome, fill in the blank. Maybe you've had marital problems, child problems, problems with a job or an opportunity. Maybe you have self-defeating behaviors. Maybe you're messy or sloppy, or you've been betrayed or hurt, or maybe you've betrayed someone or hurt someone. Life hasn't been fair. You could list a million other things, but you get the idea here. If you fill in the blank with one of those or a hundred others, you might think, because of this, God doesn't love me. And I will make a few points about that on the other side of our break. But suffice it to say That is not true. Whether you think it's true or not, that is not true. God loves everyone completely. In dozens and dozens and dozens of near-death experiences, I have heard from people who are greatly flawed that the quality above all qualities that they experienced when they briefly died and were on the other side was that God loved them beyond any love in this life. On the other side of our break, a little bit more about the idea of God's love and redemption. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. If you have a question or comment about this or any other Religion Today program, send me an email. I would be happy to respond. If you have a general or a specific religious question entirely apart from this show, Feel free to send me an email about that as well. If I don't know the answer and can't find it, I'll tell you. But most likely, I'll be able to track down the answer and get it to you. Be in touch. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. The point of today's broadcast is that God loves you no matter how good or how bad you've been. Now, there's something about that that makes some people feel uncomfortable. They think, well, what's the point of being good then if God loves a bad person just as much? Loving someone who has sinned or has bad self-esteem for whatever reason is not the same as wishing they will not sin or somehow advocating sin, neither of which is true. God truly does what that old adage says love the sinner but hate the sin. That is a very easy point to comprehend. Here's another point it's an error in judgment, and it's also not fair to be harder on yourself than you would be on someone else who's struggling with the same things you are. A fair way to think about this is if you had someone come to you with your problem, would you condemn them the way you tend to condemn yourself or would you forgive them and encourage them in second Nephi chapter two verses one and two, Lehi speaks to his oldest son Jacob, and he says this quote, thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow. Nevertheless God shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain, for it must needs be that there is an opposition in all all things, close quote. Notice here two things, especially. Number one, Jacob has suffered much sorrow. Not a little bit, not here and there, but a lot of sorrow. Point number two, God will consecrate those afflictions for your gain, for your good, the horrible things that happen to you, the difficulties you struggle with will ultimately be for your good because you learn so much from them. And point number three is that these verses don't just say, well, you might find some opposition from a few things here and there. It says there is opposition in all things and it doesn't say, Wow, that's kind of too bad, so sad. It says it has to be that way. Verse 11:4, it must needs be. It must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. We have to have this opposition, even though it is extremely difficult. But don't lose hope. We also read in Ether chapter 12, verse 27, quote, And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. And in today's society, we ought to say, And if people come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto people weakness, that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make... Weak things become strong unto them. What are weak things? Well, that whole list that I mentioned earlier could be considered weak things. All the things you struggle with, those are weak things. Those will ultimately become your strengths. How is that possible? Because those are the things you learn the very most from. What you must know is that God loves you. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. God doesn't just love you a little bit, not just kind of, sort of. Our Heavenly Father loves you, each of you, every one of you, more than you know, more than you can understand. His love for you could actually be described as overwhelming and astonishing. And as President Monson said, God's love is always there for you. It's simply always there. I wanted to share for you Joseph Smith's very first attempt at his personal history. This is 1832, not the famous account from 1838 that we find in the scriptures. Joseph Smith's first handwritten account was one that he made when he was just 26 years old, and he said this, quote, about the age of 12 years, my mind became seriously impressed with the all-important concern for the welfare of my immortal soul. This led me to searching the scriptures, believing as I thought that they contained the word of God and thus supplying myself to them from the age of 12. I pondered these things in my heart. My mind became exceedingly distressed, for I became convicted of my sins, and I felt to mourn for my own sins. Therefore, I cried unto the Lord for mercy. So the first vision wasn't about forming a new church, about starting a restoration. The gist of it was that it started with Joseph Smith being worried about his immortal soul, because he wasn't measuring up. Quote, I was convicted of my sins, close quote. Therefore, said Joseph Smith, quote, I cried unto the Lord for mercy, and the Lord heard my cry, and while in the attitude of calling upon the Lord, a pillar of fire above the brightness of the sun at noonday came down from above and rested upon me, And I was filled with the Spirit of God, and the Lord opened the heavens upon me. And I saw the Lord, and he spake unto me, saying, Joseph, my son, thy sins are forgiven thee. Go and keep my commandments. And here, for the purpose of this broadcast, is the most important line in Joseph Smith's first vision. Quote, And my soul was filled with love, and for many days I could rejoice with great joy." The point of the first vision was that Joseph Smith felt forgiven of his sins by God, despite the fact that he was imperfect in many ways, and he felt great, great love from God beyond love that he understood in this world before that. Now, this is something that is not unique. This is something that I've heard in many of the significant near-death experiences that I've heard of. One would be David Harard, who was an atheist, was shot up in Vietnam, died briefly and felt Overwhelming love that changed him from being an atheist into a believer in Jesus. I could mention another one Jeff Olson, a dear friend of mine, an amputee who felt guilt ridden because he rolled his car, probably by falling asleep, and his wife and son died in a crash. God loved him nonetheless. John chapter 3, verse 16 God loves everyone in this world so much that he sent his son here so that everyone who has faith in him will not perish but will have everlasting life join me again next week i'm martin tanner
0: it's the story of an american held in a dark venezuelan
1: prison then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up they pointed their guns at me and this is the point where i thought i'm gonna die today